Good morning. This morning's Bible reading is from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 25. So if you'd like to follow it along, please do so. Uh, But first we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your deep and abiding love for us. We're not worthy of such love or of the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross for us. It's truly overwhelming that you would choose us and call us your friends. Help us, Lord, to remain in you and to follow your commands. Thank you, Jesus, that when we go through difficult times, you're with us. Please help us to stay strong in our faith and to trust you every day. We ask that you would be with James today as he opens your word to us. And we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts to what you would be saying to us. So starting at verse 1, John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than to this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? I believe you. It's fine. Uh, My name is James. I'm the minister here at Living Church. It is great to have you all here. Again, special uh, welcome to you if you're visiting for the baptism. It's great to have you guys here. Uh, I've got three quick little announcements just before I get into the sermon this morning. Uh, A couple of updates and a couple of new things. So first up, uh, many of you will know that the Queensland Theological College has been in a project to attempt to buy the building that they have been in. I won't go into the full backstory, uh, but they put an offer in uh, Monday week ago, and that offer has been conditionally accepted, uh, which is really good news. Uh, it's now, yes, by all means, do celebrate. It is still uh, pending Supreme Court approval because the receiver is going to need to take that to the courts and everything. So we won't have it all the way confirmed probably uh, until early next year. Uh, but just wanted to give you an update on where that's at. It's a big thing for us because we've invested money in it as a church. We might continue to invest in it in the future. Um, but at the same time, I just wanted to keep you guys updated on what's happening there. Uh, Also, just so you know what's happening after uh, this morning, for those uh, in the know, we've got a congregational meeting where we're going to be electing uh, our committee of management for next year and also giving a chance uh, to you guys to express approval or disapproval for the elder and councillor nominations uh, going into next year also. So we're going to take a 10-minute break after we get done with the service here, and then we're going to call you guys back in and get into the meeting as soon as we can after that, just so you know what's happening on that front. Uh, If you do need to run off, you can actually fill in a ballot and go. You'll just need to see uh, John Wallace will have the ballots. Uh, John's right in the back corner there. Um, So if you are taking off but you'd like to just be able to fill in a ballot, you can still do that and we'll receive that as well. And finally, okay, last one. Uh, We have been doing here at Living Church on every second uh, Friday during term time uh, a ministry here for some time. We've had Kids Connect and we've had Youth Connect and where we've had Friday dinners operating at the same time. And if you've ever been along, it's a great vibe. We absolutely love it. In fact, what we want to do is expand out what we're doing on Friday nights going into next year. Because one of the unintended consequences of having it with Youth Connect and Kids Connect is that it sort of made it feel as though it's just for families and that sort of thing. And what we really want to do going into next year is really blow Fridays up so that there is a sense that it is for everyone. So regardless of whether you are... uh, single, whether you're married without kids, whether you're empty nesters, whether uh, you are, you know, whatever season of life that you're in, we really want Fridays during term time uh, to be a place where we come together as a church community, we hang out. And so to that end, uh, we're going to be doing drinks for the grown-ups on Friday nights uh, next year, starting from five o'clock. We're still going to have dinner at six. Kids Connect and Youth Connect are going to be running as per normal, uh, but there is going to be a chance for some Friday hangout time for the grown-ups starting from 5 p.m. on Friday. So to give you a taste of what it's going to look like next year. Our last Friday night for this year is going to be on November 25th, and we're going to be introducing the new structure. Not all the way, not all the components are going to be there, but it is going to be a chance for you guys to come along and check it out. And so I encourage you, if you've got space, I know it's you know Christmas time and you know, getting into that season uh, where everyone's got their calendars pretty
pretty full. But if you want to come along on Friday the 25th, uh, we're going to be doing you know, like an early Christmas dinner and uh, getting into it and having a great time. So I encourage you guys to check that out. Uh, check the newsletter, check the Facebook page. We'll be putting more information out as we go. All right. So with all that said, let's get into our passage uh, for this morning. As I was reading through this passage, I was reminded um, of, to be honest, what was a really painful experience uh, for me as a kid. Um, not not going to lie, uh, just going to own this these days. As a straight, white, middle-class dude, I have not faced a lot of persecution in my life. Let's, let's be honest. That's not a thing that I've had to endure much of. But that doesn't mean that there haven't been times uh, when there have been hurtful things that have been done where I've been judged wrongly or unfairly and suffered those consequences. And so I remember uh, one time as a 14, 15-year-old kid somewhere in that space, I'd been playing basketball uh, for a particular sort of representative club, uh, and I needed to switch clubs. So I'd been playing for the uh, esteemed Bulleen Boomers and was now going to play for the Nunawading Spectres. Big, big news in Melbourne basketball. Um, I suspect you all knew that already. Uh, But here's the thing. When I got there, coming from another club, for my first game, I remember walking down uh, towards all my new teammates who were sitting there, and they, knowing that I'd come from another club, as I got down there with my bag in my new Spectres uniform and all that sort of stuff, they waited until I put my bag down before the entire team picked up their stuff and then walked back down to the other end of the court. Just took one look at me and wanted to make it very, very clear that uh, I was not one of them that I was not part of them. And as a you know, 14, 15-year-old kid trying to sort of hold back tears and at the same time keep it together and all that sort of stuff, I, I was just like blown away. It, was like, it just felt like the harshest, coldest thing that someone could do. I hadn't done anything. I played for another club. I was coming to join them now. I was meant to be a part of it. And, and they just, just dead looked me in the eye and were like, we are sending a message right here. And it, just, it, it stuck with me because, like I said, you know, I haven't faced a lot of persecution. I haven't faced a lot of that, that, that sort of thing. But there is something where if you're going to follow Jesus in this world, at one point or another, you might have come across something similar to this. Where as you've sought to be faithful to Christ, without bearing any animosity to those around you, as you've entered into spaces, you may have had people uh, treat you harshly had to make assumptions about you. And if you, hadn't, if you haven't had that happen yet, what Jesus says here is almost a promise that you will at some point. And Jesus here wants to prepare uh, his guys back in the day, but us too through this passage, to be able to endure that sort of, honestly, you know, hate and cruelty uh, and yet remain in him. And so we're going to look at this idea from this passage coming out here about love and hate and what that looks like uh, for us in this world today. So John 15, not coincidentally, comes right off the back of John 14. And uh, you might remember that last week we saw this exhortation that Jesus had given to his guys uh, to, to, to basically be prepared for the difficulty that was to come. That's what he's doing in this upper room discussion. He's preparing all of his guys for what is to come. And he finishes with this little uh, pronouncement where he says, uh, you know, come now, let us leave. And many of you might have been sort of wondering during the week as you looked at this in growth group, like, where is he going? What was happening here and everything? And so I just need to give you a little bit of an explanation on this because it seems like the conversation's over, right? Did you guys look at this one in growth group last week? Like, why does he say, where's he going? Anyway, he 
has the first part of the conversation, then he says, come now, let us leave. And it's like, well, wait, what, what's he doing? And maybe uh, it's like the end of the night. You know, have you guys ever been at a dinner party and like, oh, we really must be going. And then everyone sort of stands at the doorway and chats for like another 20 or 30 minutes afterwards. And there's one person there like, man, I'm still going to do the dishes. I'm going to get to bed. No, no, it's lovely to be here. Maybe something like that was going on. Or maybe uh, they're actually continuing the conversation uh, on the way to where they're going next, which is uh, called the Kidron Valley. So essentially, this is the this is map of Jerusalem here. Okay, the old school. We've got the temple there and all that sort of stuff. And right in this sort of square is where they were having this dinner, the upper room. And over this Kidron Valley is where they're going to go in chapter 18 to the Garden of Gethsemane up here. And so maybe this conversation's taking place as they sort of cross down the road here on their way to crossing the Kidron Valley. We're not totally sure, okay, but just I know that some of you were wondering about that, and so I wanted to give you a little bit of an explainer as to maybe what's happening. So maybe he's walking along, maybe he sees a vine, that's what some people speculate, that's why he all of a sudden starts to talk about it. Uh, but either way, he continues the conversation by saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, okay? I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now, it's really interesting that he uses this vine imagery because in the Old Testament, we can see numerous times when God's people, the nation of Israel, okay, in the Old Testament, were called a vine, and most of the time, it wasn't good. They weren't a great vine. So here's one example from Psalm 80. Uh, Psalm 80 says, Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. That's the nation of Israel. You drove out the nations and planted it in the promised land. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will turn away from, Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. So we've got this vine imagery, the idea that Israel was this vine that God had planted, but they've been pulled apart, they've been burnt, and now they're crying out for help, and their hope is in one whom seems to be called the Son of Man, which we know is Jesus' favorite title for himself. So, you know, very strong possibility connections here where Jesus is saying, Israel has been a failure as a vine, but now I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And remember, all this is meant to be preparing his people for what is to come. So what's he, what does he got to say about this metaphor? How, why is he using it? He goes on and says, The father, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So two classes of people, those who have been in him but are not bearing fruit, and those that are... One of them will be cut off completely. The other will be pruned so that they might be even more fruitful. But what's true for both is there is a cutting coming. All right? Now, to those that are remaining in him, he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Back in John 13, Jesus has already said to Peter, one of his disciples, you are clean, you've been washed. It's this picture of the forgiveness of sins. There's a sense in which through their faith in him and being with Jesus that they have been cleansed, they have been washed. And Jesus is saying to all those who are in him, you too have been cleaned. But he knows that hardship and difficulty are coming, and so he's going to exhort them to remain in him. You've been made clean, but remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It's basic horticultural practice, right? If you are a branch and you get cut off from the vine, you are no longer going to be able to be fruitful. It's a simple metaphor. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus has already said in the midst of this conversation, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now he's saying that if you want to be fruitful, if you want to produce fruit in your life, then you need to be remaining in me, connected to the source of life. What is this fruitfulness that he's talking about here? Is it, is it faith? Is it maturity in Christ? Is it a growing sense of godliness? Is it good works? Is it seeing people come to become part of the kingdom of God and to join the branch themselves? Yes. I don't think there's any need to be reductionistic here about the sort of fruit that might be on view. We're not told to narrow it down. We, at one point or another, all those things that I just described are, are told, talked about in terms of fruitfulness, faith, maturity, good works, conversions, all this sort of stuff. These are the things that Jesus has on view. These are the things that he wants to see happening in people's lives. And he says again, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so two groups of people. He says that my, I am the vine, my father is the gardener. There are some who do not remain in me and they are cut off. And there are some who are in me and they will be pruned so they'll be more fruitful. For those of you that are remaining in me, there is a pruning coming so that you can be more fruitful. I want you to be in me because apart from me, if you are disconnected from me, if you're no longer joined to me, then you can't be fruitful in all the ways that I've been talking to you about. In fact, the consequences of not remaining in him are even more severe than that. It's not just about not being fruitful. It's about life and death. Because he says now in verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now that's obviously very heavy, but now we need to just pull this apart because it's really easy for us to, to hear this and think that Jesus just said that if you don't remain in me, you're going to burn. But let's read it just a little bit more carefully than that because that's not precisely what he's saying here, is it? He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, he didn't say that if you don't remain in me, that you will be picked up and thrown into a fire and burned. He said you are like a branch that broken away from the vine, dries up and withers, and then they are thrown into the, the fire. We've got to be really careful here when we think about what punishment in eternity looks like. We've got a metaphor here about what happens with branches when they burn, but that's a little bit different from saying that you're going to burn yourself. And so I don't want to get too distracted by this, but just, just be careful as you read this, because what's on view here is not so much burning, but what is absolutely on view here is death and destruction. You're like a brand. Remember, his whole point here is what happens to the one who's no longer connected. And his whole point here is to say that if you are not connected to the vine, if the branch is broken up, what happens to it? It's thrown away and it withers. It dries up, it dies, right? A branch doesn't live if it's not connected to the source of life. And then those branches that are now dead are destroyed. 
And so there's this really clear dichotomy going on here. We, you know, oftentimes Jesus you know, speaks about the world and those who follow him, and it can be really confronting for us to see that he really does talk about it in terms of them and those. It, it, it's, it, there's no blurring here. Either you're in me and you're living and you're producing fruit and I'm working with you for you to produce more, or you are cut off from me and you die and wither. Now we'll come back around to that, but we need to see the dichotomy that exists there. He goes on and says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We've already heard him say something like this earlier in the passage. He said in John 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then he says here, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is not a formula for just getting whatever you want, that if you're believing in Jesus, remaining in him, ask whatever you want and you'll get it. It's again, it's in line with what he said earlier. When we ask for something in his name, we're asking for something in accordance with his will. And there's a sense here in which, again, if I'm remaining in Jesus and his words, his teaching is remaining in me, then what I wish will more and more line up with what Jesus wants and what's in accordance with his word. And as I ask for that, then it will be done for us. Okay, that's the picture that we've got going on here. And he says, This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus has talked about this in other places, right? About how you shall know them by their fruit. The true followers of Jesus will show fruit in this world. Again, whether it's faith, whether it's maturity, whether it's good works, whether it's seeing more people come into the kingdom, this is just what happens when you remain in Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And we're going to see it because this is where he starts to unpack and explain for us what it means when he says, remain in me. He now morphs that just a little bit into remain in my love, and he's going to explain what that means. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that you may be complete. Remaining in the love of Christ means obeying his commands. But as we looked at last week, what are the commands of Jesus? Is it, is it the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament? Is it the 613 laws of the Mosaic Covenant? No, he's talking in this specific context about the command to believe in him and my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Remaining in Christ is all about believing and trusting in Jesus and loving him. And the way that that works out in the way we live in the world is loving one another. And that love has a particular shape, which is the greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Remember, this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. He's preparing these guys for the hardship to come. He is telling them to love one another as I have loved you right before he's about to go to the cross and sacrifice himself for them. Remain in my love, he's saying. What is remaining in one's love, in in the love of Christ looks like? It looks like obeying his commands. What is his command? Believe and trust in me, love me, and love others as I have loved 
you. Remaining in the love of Christ means believing and trusting in the Lord and sacrificing ourselves to love others also. And then Jesus paints this beautiful picture of what this now means as he's teaching these guys about these things. As he's explaining this to all of his disciples and those in there in the room with him, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. First time he said this, that, he, that he's talked to his disciples and said, you are my friends. You are my friends if, if I do what, they're his friends if they obey him. Again, are we thinking about doing everything that he says? No. I mean, yes, by extension, But what, again, is on view here is not, you are my friend if you do everything I say, but you're my friend if you love me and you love others. I no longer call you servants because servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father I have made known to you. Friendship with Jesus is based in our knowledge and understanding of the plans that the Father and the Son have made for this world. It's not just a leap of faith into the unknown with God where we just sort of blindly trust him. That's not a bad thing necessarily, but friendship with Jesus looks like knowing and understanding his words and understanding the Father's plan that he, is, that he is revealing to them. It's walking in intimacy that comes with that. And so he says, You did not choose me, but I choose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There's that, that formula again. Okay? He's wanting them to know and understand everything that he's doing. And look, if this feels repetitive, it's meant to. Remember, in lots of ways, this is Jesus' last chance to have this extended teaching with his disciples before he is about to leave them. And he's, he's hitting his main points. He's hitting themes and ideas again and again. It's like a preacher with one big idea, right? He just keeps coming back to this one idea because he wants this to sink in desperately for them. Remain in me. Remain in my love. Love me. Love others. You're now my friends. This is my command. Love each other. And then he introduces this, a, a new idea for them to, to grasp and wrestle with in this context. He's made his point crystal clear, and then he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember, all of this conversation is preparation for the ministry that these guys are going to go forth and do. These guys are going to go forth and they're going to proclaim the gospel in nation after nation. These are the guys that he is giving the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus to. And these guys through the ministry are going to change the world. But what they need to understand is as they go forth and do that, that they're not just going to be loved and accepted wherever they go. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remain in me. Love me. Love one another. Know that you are my friends, and you no longer belong to the world. And they may very well hate you because they've hated me first. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. 
Oftentimes, as Christians, we like to uh, lay hold of the promises of God, things that he said to us that we can hold on to as hope and comfort when things go hard. One thing that we're not always very good at is recognizing that one of the promises that Jesus gave to us is that things are going to be hard. That one of the promises to hold on to when somebody is coming against us is that this is what Jesus told us would happen. Because it sounds like a conditional statement, right? If they persecute, if they persecuted me. But remember, this is the night before his death. Like the answer to that question, if they persecuted me, it's like, yeah, no, they definitely persecuted you, right? And so the immediate follow-on is, if they persecuted me, is, and they did, therefore, you too will be persecuted. Now, if they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. If they obeyed my teaching, they too would no longer belong to the world. They would come out and they would listen to you. But if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It's a promise. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. This has been Jesus' whole thing. He's been persecuted throughout his gospel because he's proclaimed the truth that he's had from his heavenly father. His entire message has been, I'm the one who has come from the father. I'm the one who knows God's plans because I've come from him and my father and I are one. But because those listening to him did not really know the father, they could not really understand the son. And so he says that just like they haven't understood that, they're not going to understand you also. They didn't understand me. They're not going to understand you. He says, if I had not come and spoke to them, they would be guilty. They would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He's not saying here that if he hadn't come along, then they would have existed in some sort of like sinless perfectionism and just totally been obedient all the time. No, no. What he, what he means here is that they wouldn't have committed this sin of rejecting me had I not come. But they have. And there's no excuse for it. They've seen the miracles. They, they, especially after the crucifixion, there's, there's going to be no excuse for their lack of faith. But that's the situation that they now are in. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. It's not just a rejection of Jesus, it's a rejection of the father as well. And he finishes off by saying, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, if they'd not be guilty of sin, again, this sin of not believing him, rejecting him. As it is, they've seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. It's heavy stuff, right? And it's appropriate. Jesus is literally about to go to his death. He is literally about to face this exact persecution that he is talking about. And he's preparing them for it. Not just in the sense of he's been teaching them that his death is about to come, but also you need to be ready to face this same sort of persecution. If you were going to proclaim me, if you're going to tell people about me, if you're going to encourage others to believe in me, then you need to understand that just as they've hated me, they're going to hate you also. And so remain in my love. Now, uh, as I was thinking about this, you know, thinking about having some visitors here with us this morning and that sort of stuff, um, I was like, this is a pretty heavy one for anyone coming along. So hi, if you're here. Uh, and I just want, I want you to hear this, you know, because you could be listening to this and sort of say, well, hold on, I'm, you know, I'm not uh, currently believing in 
Jesus. Is, is, but I don't really hate uh, the Christians around me. I'm not sure, is this true? Does this really apply to me? To which I want to say, um, I, I, I believe you. That, that's very, very possibly true. When, when the Bible talks about, the, when Jesus talks about the world here hating them, he's, he's not, that doesn't equate to every single individual. He's talking about, like, on, on mass, those who reject Jesus will in all likelihood persecute you in, in some way or another at some point. But that's not to say that each and every single individual here uh, has been really mean to the person who brought them along. I'm sure you're lovely um, in all sorts of ways. And so you may very well not be guilty of that specific idea of you know, hating your Christian neighbor or something like that. But all those who reject Jesus are very much guilty of the sin of actually hating God. But I need to explain to you why that is. See, you may not, again, be actively rejecting God. You, you may even sort of have some you know, notion of God or existence or maybe even have some positive vibes or feelings towards Jesus and all that sort of stuff. But the thing is this. There's some acts of love that are so great that even simply to ignore them is an act of cold-hearted cruelty. And we need to understand this because, like I said, that the consequence here for not believing in Jesus is death. That's, that's what's on view in this passage. Right? And so you may not feel like the, you know, you've been hating the world, so how can you say that, that I've been hating God in this? Well, it's, it's a little bit like this. If, um, if I was walking along the street, okay, and there was a, a family coming the other, the other way, you know, uh, mom, dad, three, three kids, um, elder son, maybe in teen years and all that sort of stuff, uh, and as I start to cross the street, a car that I don't see just comes around the corner and is about to smash right into me, and the eldest son jumps onto the road, pushes me out of the way, and then is struck himself and is knocked down dead, and I just keep walking? I'm that's a callousness and a coldness towards an act of love and sacrifice that even if somebody said to me, do you hate that guy? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't hate that guy. He seems like a nice kid. I've just, I've got to go somewhere else. Like, there are some acts of love that are so incredible that, that you can't just claim indifference. You can't just say, well, I don't really have a feeling about that either way. No, no. To ignore that, to deny that, to reject that is in itself unloving. It is hateful and cruel. And so this is what we have to reconcile with, that, that, that if we're not following Jesus, if we look at his sacrifice that he's about to make here, that he's about to go to the cross and die for us and simply respond, yeah, no, I'm cool, thanks. That is to reject him. And that's why Jesus can say that, that you are not with me and that if they've hated me, then they will hate you also. And so if you're here with us this morning, then the, the great news of this, the good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus doesn't want you to stay outside of the vine, so to speak. He wants you to be a part of it. His whole reason for dying on the cross and rising again is to make it possible for any to believe and trust in him and to be clean and to join the vine. Just because you're not in the vine now doesn't mean that you're done forever. The whole point of the gospel is that as these guys go forth and proclaim this, that there is hope. And if that's you, and you want that hope, then please, we'd love to talk to you about this. Talk to the person who brought you along. You can see us at the next steps desk. Whatever we can do to help you learn more about this, we'd love to be here for you in that. But for those who are here and believing, I want you to just take this word of encouragement from the Lord this morning. What he wants again and again through this passage is for you to remain in 
him. Remain in me. 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 Remain in my love. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. And I've told you all this so that your joy, so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. God's desire for each and every single one of us is to remain in Christ. And I hope you understand in the context of this passage, it's because he knows the opposition that we'll all face at one point or another. The call to remain in Christ is not just this easy one. It's a call to be loving and sacrificial and to being willing to to sacrifice yourself for others. But it's also one where we're going to have to face death ourselves in one way or another. There's the dying to ourselves that we always have to do, but there's also the opposition that we're going to face in this world. And again, it's not all going to be personal. And it will take different shapes for each of us. And depending on the sort of person that you are and the sort of space that you're operating in, there'll be different levels of intensity with it and all that sort of stuff. But what Jesus is saying to all those who would follow him here is is that there is going to be opposition if you're going to follow me through the cross and into the eternal life that I have for you. That's not going to be an easy journey. And so I hope that you're encouraged this morning that if you're facing difficult or challenging times, if you're facing a world or spaces in your context that are really making it difficult for you, that the hope and comfort is not that Jesus is going to necessarily make an easy way out, but that he knew that this was going to be the case. And he said, remain in me anyway. That you can stay with me through the persecution. That just as I go to the cross for you, you can be willing to go to the cross and face persecution and oppression for others also because I've gone there first. And that's what it looks like for us to actually live out loving one another in this space. We're not always going to be the good guys. There'll be lots of times when your Christian love brings you nothing but respect and admiration from people around you, but then there'll be others who simply, in discovering that you're a Christian, will seek to oppose you. And if that hasn't been your mindset, that's the thing that I want you to get into your head this morning. Following Christ means loss. Following Christ means persecution. Following Christ means oppression. And that's not a sign that things are going wrong necessarily. Is it a product of a broken and sinful world? Absolutely. But does it mean that somehow your faith is insufficient or that there's a problem necessarily? No, it actually might mean that you're doing the exact right thing. Not if you've been a jerk. Like, that's, that's a different thing. But, I mean, sometimes just the faithfully following Jesus is going to lead to that sort of thing. And we need to be prepared. But the good news is, is that, as we see through the cross, that resurrection life is ours also. And there's hope for us in the midst of it. And I'm going to pray for us now to keep rejoicing in it. Father God, thank you so much that Jesus loved us enough to warn us and prepare us for the truth of what it means to follow you in this world. That if they hated you first, they will hate us also. And the response that you've given to us is not to take vengeance. It's not to pick up swords of our own but it's to love the way that you have loved us. In the intimacy and friendship that that we have with you, to know your plans of reconciliation, to extend forgiveness, to proclaim the gospel, that in the face of persecution and oppression, we would not crumble, but we would remain true in your love. That we'd keep 
your command to love you and love others also. And we pray, Father, that we as a people, as we do this, that we do it for your glory and for your honour. And so that we might find our joy complete in you, knowing that we've been faithful and true and remained in the vine till the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.